Hey, welcome back to the Ascent Church Podcast. We have a great episode for you. So let's get to it. Didn't anticipate how loud... Whoa, I'm loud. I didn't anticipate how loud the, uh, the electric guitar was going to be in my ear right there. Uh, hey, it's Mother's Day. That's, that's, yes, let's give it up for the mothers. Yeah. And uh, we're, we're super excited you guys are joining us. Special day. I've got uh, my mom here and grandma's here. So this is uh, a special day for me. I think all the important women in my life are here, uh, which is really cool. So I hope that today uh, you take some time out of your day. You can even do it right now. I won't even be mad at you. Pull out your phone. If your mom is still alive, text her. Tell her thank you for all that she's done for you. Uh, even if you're like, well, I don't even know all she did for you. You, you probably don't. Uh, because a lot of what a mother's love is is very selfless and sacrificial. And it goes uh, without our noticing a lot. So just remember, she changed your diapers. So that alone is worth a thank you. And uh, I also know Mother's Day is a hard day for some people as uh, we remember the, the loss. Uh, some of us, a loss of a mother or others, a loss of a child. Or some people, the idea that you know, maybe they're not able to have children. I know all of those emotions go into Mother's Day. So uh, we, we want to rejoice with those of us who are rejoicing. We want to, at a sent mourn with those who are mourning. And so uh, if you need prayer after the service or anything like that, that's, that's what I'm here for. Uh, and I would love to do that. And we have some other leaders in the church that would love to pray with you also. And on your way out, you get a cookie. Everybody say amen. Amen. It's a really good thing. Uh, Well, the women do. Yeah, see. Yeah, but if there's some left over, men, you can have some too. Uh, And I'm I'm helping you men out because if you didn't know it was Mother's Day, that's shame on you. Uh, But you can say, look, I got you a cookie. Uh, I have a friend who who, he never buys things for uh, his wife on Mother's Day. And everybody gives him a hard time. And he says, well, she's not my mother. And... uh, He's, he's a pastor, and people literally boo him when he says that. So, men, buy a gift for your, for your wife if she's a mother. Let's, let's pray and go home now. That's it. No. Uh, we are continuing our series in First Peter today. Um, it's probably uh, one of the worst Mother's Day sermons I could ever come up with. So uh, that was our Mother's Day feel good. Now we're going to jump into First Peter, which is where we have been. Uh, and we're going to walk through what Bexley just read for us, which let's give her another hand. That's a pretty scary thing to stand up here in front of people and talk. So I want to thank her for doing that. But it's 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. So I hope you have the Bible in front of you. And uh, as I was preparing this message, uh, I very rarely, before I preach, uh, give a title to my messages. Uh, because with my ADHD brain, I don't really know what it's about until it's over usually. Uh, but I, I, this, this message, it really like for some reason, I really focused on you. Know, what, what do I want to title this message? as we're talking about what God wants for his church. And uh, at first, I I thought about titling it The Perfect Church. And by the way, The Perfect Church doesn't exist. Like, you could search around your whole life, try to find The Perfect Church, and you won't find it. And by the way, if you do find it, don't join it, because you'll mess it up, right? Uh, And and all churches have sin. All churches have things about them that are not perfect. And so I thought about, what what would The Perfect Church look like if it were? And I think in 2 Peter, verses 4 through 10, we see what The Perfect Church would look like. But then as I got to thinking about it, really, this is not about the perfect church. It's about the church that God wants. And you see, we spend a lot of time in our culture, especially in the Bible Belt here in Oklahoma, looking for the kind of church that we want. Like we search around and we say, you know, I kind of like the way that guy talks about the Bible, but I kind of like the way this person sings. And I kind of like this student ministry and I kind of like this kid's ministry. And so we try to pick and choose which church we go to based upon what? Based upon what we want, our preferences, what we desire. 
But I wonder if you've ever stopped to think about what does God want in a church? Like, what if, I, what if I were to turn my mind and say, not what do I want in a church, but what does God want for His church? And what if I were to join and become a part of a church that God wanted to exist? You see, this is a very different way of looking at church. And uh, I, I love what Charles Spurgeon says. I already told you guys, he's my favorite dead preacher. And uh, he says this, he says, that very church, now this is written in the 1800s, so it's really cool language. That very church, which the world likes best, is sure to be that which God abhors. Ooh, that kind of stopped me in my tracks. The church that we all in our worldly desires flock to might just be the church that God abhors the most. So today, we're going to look at three things that I believe God wants in a church. And as a pastor of Ascent, my prayer is that these three things would be true of us. Like, I desire these three things. And regardless of who is pastor, regardless of what is going on here, these three things must be true. Because in my depth, in my heart, I want us to be a church not that you want to attend or that I want to attend. I want to be a church that God wants us to be. I want to be God-centered first, and then I fall in line with that. Not here's what I want, now God fall in line with this. And I know in the tendency of my heart, I can so easily become the type of person who wants things to be centered around what I want and what I desire. So we're going to look at three things that God wants for his church today. I'm going to pray for us uh, because that's where we always must start. So, Father, as we come before you on this Mother's Day, we are we're so grateful uh, for the way that you love us. We're grateful for uh, the mothers in our lives, um, the women in our lives who have raised us and nurtured us and made us who we are today. Uh, Lord, I I praise you and I thank you for that. And Lord, I also pray for those who maybe are mourning or um, Lord, Mother's Day is a reminder of things that have been lost. Lord, I pray that you would comfort them and give them peace in a way that only you can. And God, as we jump into 1 Peter chapter 2, I I pray that you would show us what you want for your church. Lord, I I pray that we would seek to surrender our wants and our desires to the wants and desires that you have for us. Lord, as the pastor of this church, you you know the depths of my heart. You know the evilness that I am capable of. You know the selfishness that I can portray, Lord. And I just pray that you would humble me. You would correct me as I preach this message. And I pray that you'd give my listeners the ears to hear. Help them be good listeners as they listen to what you want for them in the church. Lord, it's in your name I pray. Amen. All right, 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 4. And five, it says this, it says, as you come to him, him being Jesus, a living stone, that's what you are. You are a living stone rejected by people, but chosen and honored by God. And that word honored is precious. In other words, you're chosen and precious to God, which I think is a really beautiful picture. The whole world can hate me, but I'm precious to God. It gives me a lot of confidence. It says, and the one, oh, sorry, uh, verse five, it says, and you yourselves as living stones, a spiritual house are being built to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. What Peter says here is absolutely amazing. And it leads me to number one. This is what God wants in his church. And if you're not taking notes, you should just go ahead and write this down anyways. Because it says this, God wants a people, not a place or a person. What does God want in his church? He wants a people, not a place or a person. Do you see what the text says? That we are a stone which comes together to be a part of the new temple that God would have. Like where is our God found? He's found in his people. This should be astounding to us. Uh, In fact, what's really interesting is in the first century, the, the Roman Empire, the people, the leaders and the people who are in the empire thought that Christians were atheists. 
They didn't consider us a new religion. They thought they didn't believe in God at all. If you think about it, it makes sense because from the beginning of time, the way people have related to God in any religion is what? They had to go to a place. They had to go to a temple. This is where God is. Like God's not everywhere. God's in this holy place. We even call it a sanctuary, the, the, the sanctified place where God is. And not only that, but the Christians didn't offer sacrifices. So throughout all the other religions, if you're going to relate to God, you've got to kill something. You've got to atone for your sin in some way because everybody knew that you couldn't just come into the presence of God all willy-nilly because we were common people and to be in the presence of a holy God would not be good for us. And yet here are the Christians and they say, we don't have a temple that we meet in and we don't offer sacrifices and we don't even have priests in the way you think of priests. Why? Well, because the temple is what? It's, it's us. Wherever we are, there's the temple of God. There's his presence. And why don't we offer sacrifices? Because Jesus himself was the ultimate sacrifice. He came and he died for our sins once and for all. Way more than a lamb or a goat or a sheep. It was the precious blood of the Son of God who came and laid down his life so that you and I, common people, can have access to God at any time. You guys are just looking at me kind of blank face. That's like purple dust should be coming out of your head. I can talk to the God of this universe at any time because of what Jesus Christ has done on my behalf. We don't have priests in the way they did in the Old Testament because the priest's job was what? It was, it was to connect the uncommon, the, the, the non-holy people with a holy God. They had to go to the priest who was supposed to live this perfect life, this righteous life to the best of his ability, keep himself sanctified so that he could walk into the Holy of Holies and talk to God on your behalf. We don't need that anymore. Why? Well, because Jesus came as the ultimate high priest. He's the ultimate one who bridges the gap between where we are and where God is. Now, here's the the crazy part for all of us. Jesus says he's the great high priest, but if you're a Christian, you are the the, the lowercase p priest. That now if people want to know how to connect to a holy God, they should be able to come to the church and see God in that. So you didn't know coming in here today that you're a priest, but you are. I hereby ordain you. Actually, Jesus does. And you see, what this means for us as a church is is God doesn't want us to be a place. One of the things I love about Ascent is that we do not have a building. One of the things I hate about Ascent is that we do not have a building. (laughs) But but with all my heart, what terrifies me is that when when we get a building, people will begin to think of us as that building. People will begin to think of us as that place. And this terrifies me. See, because I don't want anybody ever to say, hey, Blake, is the wedding at Ascent? That sentence shouldn't make sense to us. It'd be like you saying, hey, Blake, is the wedding at Blake? (laughs) I'm not a location. I'm a person. I'm a living thing. And the church is not a location. It's a living thing. It's not a place. And it's also not a person. Do you see that? You're just one stone of many that come together to make the temple. And this, friends, is why church can never be a podcast. It can never be you out in a field looking at a sunset. Can you experience God in those ways? Absolutely you can. But you can't fully experience him because his presence is where? It's in his body. It's when we come together. It's when we are together in this. And by the way, if we think of God as a father, it doesn't even make sense for us to be isolated. We're here on Mother's Day. And I know you mamas love most, especially when they grow up and they become adults, when you get all your kids together. That's why we do a photo booth out there, right? Because mom wants you to get all dressed up. Come on, just come to church with me. Just one Sunday out of the year. We're going to take a picture together. Why? Because she loves all of her kids together. That's why we do Christmas and Thanksgiving. If you had a kid who said, you know what, Mom, I I love you. I really do. Um, But uh, I just, I do not want to be around my siblings. They all kind of drive me nuts, Uh, which might be true for some of you. And not me. My siblings are great, and they're all here. Uh, 
but, but you say, no, Mom, I'm not going to come to Christmas or Thanksgiving. We'll just spend one-on-one time together. That wouldn't fill your heart with joy because you want your family together. Well, God the Father looks at you and He says, I'm so glad you experienced one-on-one time with me. You ought to. But I want my family together. I, w- I want to I be in the presence of all of my people together. See, the, the church God wants is, is not a place and it's, it's not a person. All right, number two, God wants Jesus as the cornerstone. Look at this, verse six. It says, for it stands in scripture, and Peter's gonna quote some Old Testament texts. He's actually gonna quote a whole lot of them uh, in the end of where we're going right here. But here, here he quotes a Psalm and he says this, for it stands in scripture. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and honored. Again, there's that word precious, cornerstone. You see, to, to the church, Jesus should not just be something that we talk about. He should be precious to us. In your life, Christian, Jesus is the most precious thing to you. I wonder if you believe that to be true. Like if you lost everything else and you had Jesus, would you be satisfied? And I worry about us. I really do. Because oftentimes when people die, when people, and we're talking about people at a funeral, we talk about what they're enjoying the most, and it's usually not God or Jesus. It's like, I know he's up there fishing, or I know he's up there doing whatever it is he enjoyed the most. And that, that kind of hurts my heart a little bit because ultimately what it should be for all of us is he's up there enjoying the presence of Jesus, his greatest tre- treasure. I can't even talk. I'm so excited. His greatest treasure in this life is Jesus. And for the church, our greatest treasure, our cornerstone, our very foundation should be Jesus of Nazareth. I hope that's true for us, church. And the one who believes in him, Jesus, will never be put to shame. So honor will come to you who believe. But for the unbelieving, the stone that the builders rejected, this one has become the cornerstone. See, God wants Jesus to be the stone, the foundation which we build everything on. And uh, in the first century, uh, the cornerstone was the most important piece of a building. Uh, because that, that corner piece was the piece that gave the rest of the building the foundation to stand on. So if you had a weak cornerstone, the whole building would collapse. And they used that cornerstone to line the building up. So it it made everything else be in alignment based upon the cornerstone. And so what Peter is saying here is, this is how Jesus should operate in our church, and this is how Jesus should operate in our lives. He's the very foundation in which we build on, and it aligns everything else in our life. And and I would just ask you, Christian brother, Christian sister, and myself included, um, is Jesus truly the thing that aligns your life and the foundation you build your life on? And here's how you can tell what your cornerstone is in life. What causes you great anxiety when you fear losing it? So for a lot of men, it's their job, myself included. Like things are going well at Ascent. We have money coming in. I'm fine. For women, uh, it's a lot more has to do with your family and your relationships. And see, it's interesting because Taylor can come to me when I'm freaking out about Ascent. And she's like, it's okay. It's not a big deal. It's going to be all right. And I'm freaking out. But then I go to her and she's having some kind of relationship problem or something's going on in the family and she's freaking out. I'm like, it's okay. It's not a big deal. You see what it reveals about both of us is where we have a little bit of our foundation laying. Right. It reveals to us a little bit of what aligns our life because we feel like if we lose that thing, maybe for you, it's your bank account. Maybe for you, it's your children, whatever it might be. When you start to lose that thing, you start to feel like your life's out of a line. And what Peter says is ultimately Jesus should be that alignment and that foundation so that we cannot be shaken. Jesus talks about this in the Gospels. He says, there's a man, this is a story, a parable. He says, there's a man who built his house on sand, and when the storms came, what happened to his house? It was blown away. There was a man who built his house on the stone, on the rock, which was solid. And when the storm came, guess what? His house wasn't blown away. This is what Jesus is talking about. Very practically, what this looks like for us at Ascent, like what does it mean that we have our cornerstone built 
on Jesus is number one, I try to just preach the Bible every single week. I, I, I am not preaching a Mother's Day sermon today. You know why? Because I just wasn't there in the Bible. I tried to be. I thought I'd be in 1 Peter chapter 3, and God was like, no, that's not where you're going this week. Because I believe that the cornerstone of the church is not what Blake thinks, not what Blake's opinion is, not whatever culture is telling me to preach about, but what the Bible is telling me to preach about, what God has ordained for us to speak about. And the moment I start interjecting my opinion on things is the moment you need to find a new church. The moment anybody up here starts interjecting their opinion on things is the moment you need to run for the hills. And your job as a member of this church, as a part of this body, is actually to protect the doctrine of the church. To protect the fact that the gospel is what we proclaim, and we proclaim it from the word of God. Number two, I want us desperately to be a, prayer, a, a church that is built upon prayer. We cannot be a church that's like, yeah, prayer is something that we do before the sermon and after the sermon. No, no, tr- prayer has to be the glue that ties us together as a church. If we're going to be a cornerstone type of church where we're seeking after Jesus, that has to be something that is so important in all of our individual lives and our corporate lives. That's why every January we we start the year with 21 days of prayer and fasting. And uh, we start with like 6 a.m. prayer in the morning. I know some of you are like, the Holy Spirit's not even awake at 6 a.m., Blake. (laughs) I get that. We have coffee there because you can fast from everything except for coffee. If you, amen. You fast. I'm just going to say, if somebody tells you to fast from coffee, they're probably a cult, okay? <laughs> we come together and we start our year with prayer. And the goal is not that it was like, oh, 21 days of prayer, we did that. No, it's, it's we want to start a habit of prayer in the lives of our people. And every Sunday morning we join at 6.30 because you get that 30 extra minutes of sleep during the year. Um, and when we come together and we pray, and I believe it's the most important thing we do on a Sunday morning because we're seeking God's will above our own will. Here's, here's another Charles Spurgeon quote for you. He says, I believe that one reason why the church of God at this present moment, and this was 200 years ago, has so little influence over the world is because the world has so much influence over the church. I feel this, friends. Like when the world's got something going on in culture, everybody's freaking out about it. You know what I want to do in my heart? I want to, I want to talk about that thing. And if I'm not careful, I can let culture kind of guide the way we do ascent. And I've got to fight against it. And you've got to fight against it and say, no, we're allowing Jesus to lead the way that we guide this church in our own lives. See, and in your life, it looks like this. It looks like you're no longer at the center, but now Jesus is at the center. Right? Like before Jesus, I decided what I wanted to do with my money. I decided what I wanted to do with my time. I decided what I wanted to do with my relationships. They all existed to serve me. Like what I thought was best went. And some of you even have a little bit of Jesus, which is even more dangerous. Like you have Jesus off to the side. You're like, here's my circle. Here's what I want in my time, my money, and my church family. Or here's what I want in Jesus. And it's like, Jesus is great to be there as long as he's helping me along in my dream. God, help me with more money. Help me with more relational peace. And, and, and yet, those places, God, where you call on me, which for all of us, it's money, sex, and power. Every single one of us has a pull on one of those things. And where Jesus calls you to live differently in those areas, you're like, I'm just going to kind of cut that part out of my life and ignore what you said. And Jesus would say, no, no, no. If you want me, you want all of me. Precious, the cornerstone of your life. To say, Jesus, with all of my heart, I don't want to do this. I don't want to confess this sin. But your scripture tells me that that is the way I am healed. That to other brothers, I have to tell them what's going on in my heart. Or I don't want to give this money. But God, everything in me is saying, give this money and trust in me. And you have to say, you know what, Jesus, I want to go left, but you're saying go right, and I'm going to go right because I trust you. Because you're the precious cornerstone of my life. And here's what I know for a lot of us. 
This is a stumbling stone. This is the thing that will keep you from going all in with Jesus. This is the thing where you'll say, man, I love Jesus. I love when Blake talks, you know, more kind of positive messages and he's kind of funny, but I don't really like all this other stuff about self-sacrifice and giving my life up. And the reason I know it's a stumbling stone for some of you, the very thing that I build my life on is a stumbling stone for some of you is because Peter tells me. Look at this. Verse 8. It says, And a stone to stumble over and a rock to trip over. They stumble because they disobey the word. They were destined for this. In other words, Peter says, Blake, if, if you want to have a popularity contest and, and, and bring everybody in and, and everybody sing Kumbaya and never offend anybody, you're preaching the wrong gospel. Because this gospel was predestined to make some people stumble. That there are some people who God was like, they're not going to like it. For the very reason you love it is the very reason they will run from it. You see, and the difference is in our soul. The difference is, do you, do you need Jesus? Have you admitted that you're powerless? Or do you feel like you kind of can handle it yourself? See, this is why I think the 12 steps in addiction recovery has been so successful. Whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, it's been successful for, for people. Because the first step is you have to admit powerlessness and give control over to a higher power. And this is why I think people who have struggled with addiction actually have a leg up on all of us. That those people are actually the people who they can praise God for that block because it made them build their life upon Jesus Christ. Because those who have entered into recovery have realized their own weakness. And that if I don't lean on something else besides myself, I am going to fall. And Jesus says, that's not just for addicts, friends. That's for what we call people. (laughs) Every single one of us has to lean on the cornerstone. And if you think for any part of your life that, that you have it figured out, you will not lean on that cornerstone. See, number one, what God wants in his church is he wants a people, not a place or a person. And number two, God wants Jesus as our cornerstone for our life and our church. And then here, here's the, the last one, and that is God wants us to work as a team for his mission. God wants us to work as a team for his mission. Verse 9, but you are a chosen race. In other words, not chosen races, but a chosen race. We are one family. Regardless of your ethnic background, you are now a family member in the family of God. Like you can spit in the tube and send it off to Ancestry.com and figure out where you're from. I, I'm not going to do that. I'm obviously from Asia. Uh, just kidding. I'm as white as they come, uh, unfortunately. Anyways, uh, now it doesn't matter where your, your, your ancestry is in the physical, but now your ancestry is in who? It's in, it's in God. We are together in this. No, notice that none of this is individual. A royal priesthood. We already talked about that. It's a place where, where God and us connect, where God uses us to connect the, the world to him. A holy nation under the King Jesus, and a people for his possession, so that you might proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You know who he's not talking to? He's not just talking to like 20 people who are pastoring churches. Like, you go proclaim the praises of God. He's talking to every one of us who would call ourselves a believer. Every single one of us have to use our gifts and our skills to be on the mission that God would have us be. Blake is not the most important person in this church. I'm going to say that again. I am not the most important person in this church. You know why? Because my job is to actually build you up so that you can go out and live gospel-saturated lives on the mission of God. 
And for a lot of us, we think the idea of mission is I'm going to go out, I'm going to invite my friends, and they're going to listen to Blake. And, oh, Blake, that wasn't a very good sermon. I, I wish I wouldn't have invited my friend today. It was a little too hardcore. Uh, tell, me, tell me when it's going to be kind of an easier message. But that's, that's not my job. My job is to build you up and send you out so that you can live on God's mission in your own unique way. And there's three ways that we do it. Uh, we, we look to give. We're contributors. So as you become a part of the church, you come not to just be fed by me, not to just come and, and hear worship music, and, and not to just say, you know, I want a church that fits my needs. No, you, you say, hey, there's a need in the church. Maybe God's calling me to fill that need. And you step in and you begin to contribute. And if you're a guest with us, you feel free to remain a guest forever. Like as long as you want to just keep coming in. But this is a message for those of you that would say, Blake, I, I believe in Jesus. I believe he's the king of my life. And I want to be connected to this church. It's time for us to contribute. The, the church is not a cruise ship. It's a battleship. Like, like when, you get, when you go on a cruise, everybody serves you, right? Like you, you, get, you get your towels done for you. They put a, a little, which happened, my wife's awesome. So I, I, I get my towels done for me all the time. But what my wife doesn't do is uh, at the cruise ship, they like turn your towel into like a little animal. Uh, it's just the cutest little thing. They put it on the bed for you. You get served. Awesome meal. You know, every, and you don't have to do a thing. You don't have to lift your finger if you don't want to. Uh, it's just for you. A lot of people kind of view the church in this way. But that's not how the church is. The church is more like a battleship. Like, we are under attack. We need you to get off your rear end and come help us in this mission. Like, I've never been on a, a battleship, but I'm pretty sure they don't fold the towels and cute little animals for them. <laughs> if they do, I have lost faith in our military. <laughs> because they're not there for comfort. They're there for mission. It's time to go. And that's not to say that there's not seasons in our life where we need to rest and we need to take more of God's grace in because self-care, if done right, is actually for the mission of God. Like I can't pour myself out anymore when I'm empty. I got to be filled up to be able to pour myself out. What I'm talking about is the person who calls themselves a Christian and they do nothing more but sit in a chair for 30 years. That's not what God has intended for the church of Jesus Christ. Number two, we look to do things with excellence. Um, I'm about to say something offensive. It's never stopped me from saying it before. Uh, probably should. Um, but I, I, it's not offensive. It's just a preference, okay? You guys are nervous, I can tell. Uh, I don't like Christian movies, okay? Now, let me explain myself. M- movies that, that they call themselves Christian movies, to me, are very corny. Now, if you like them, God loves you, and, and, and you, you, could, you could go watch those bad movies. But um, I'm just kidding. They just give me a little bit of a Hallmark vibe. And you see, what has happened, I think, in our culture is we take the word Christian and we can attach it to art, and the people don't even have to make good art. They just continue to make the same thing because they know what? They know a whole bunch of Christians are going to go out and buy it. And so it's not actually, hey, let's just make good art, which for thousands of years, there's only been 2,000 since Jesus, but for hundreds of years, that was the way Christians did things, was they just were Christians who made art. And we made the most beautiful art in the world. Like you would look at something a Christian painted, a song a Christian made, and everybody enjoyed it. It was good for the whole of culture, not just a little segment of culture. Which is not to say that there's not good Christian movies or good Christian songs. The point of the matter is, is that we are to make things that are excellent for all people. That whatever you do at your job, you should be doing the best at it. If you're a pharmacist, you should be the best pharmacist. If you're an occupational therapist, this thought of my father-in-law, so I, that's why it was so specific. Uh, <laughs> like occupational therapist. Yeah, you should be the best occupational therapist in the world. Because you're working not unto men, but you're working unto God. And by the way we do things, we show the world. This is why I work hard to preach sermons. 
Like I'm doing the best I possibly can every week. Why? Because I'm not just preaching a sermon unto you. I'm preaching a sermon unto God. I, I, I want to do things excellent. This is why at Ascent, I would rather us have no music than to have somebody who is like having Christian karaoke up here on the stage. Like I, I love that, that your special little one wants to sing a special, but that's not her stage. This is Jesus' stage, and we want to lead people in worship, so we're going to do it with excellence. That might have been more offensive than the Christian movie part. I don't know. <laughs> but it's just the truth. Because we are a team for God's mission. I mean, what we look like is ridiculous. It looks like, for a lot of us, like we're on a football team. And we study the playbook all week long. And we, we huddle up, and the quarterback calls the play, and then we all just sit down. This is, this, is, this is the quarterback calling the huddle. You know what that means? That means we're going to go out and run the play next week. That's why every week at the end of these services, I say we are sent people... A sent people serving people. This is where we come together. But then guess what, church? We're still the church. We scatter out and we ought to be people who do things with excellence for the glory of God. I love the way the message paraphrases this. uh, 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. Uh, Eugene Peterson went back and he kind of rewrote the Bible in today's language. And sometimes I love the stuff he says. It says this. But you are the ones chosen by God. Chosen for the high calling of priestly work. Chosen to be a holy people. God's instruments to do His work and speak out for Him. To tell others of the night and day differences He made for you. For from nothing to something, from rejected to accepted. Jesus says this in John chapter 17, starting in verse 14. He's praying for all of us. Which is cool. There's a a, a verse in the Bible where Jesus is praying for Blake Farley. Which I find really cool. John 17, verse 14, it says, I have given them, that'd be us, the Christians, your word. The world hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I am not praying, look at this, that you take them out of the world. See, a lot of us think that as Christians, we're supposed to be separated from the world, right? That's why we have our own Christian music and our own Christian movies, and we have our Christian clubs, and we have Christian this, Christian that, and we can't wait till Jesus takes us away from this Filthy, nasty world, right? It's like, God, please come back so I don't have to be around all these sinners. Like a bunch of candle wicks ready to be lit up. Uh, (laughs) Okay, moving on. I'm going to cut that out of the podcast. Uh, No, Jesus says, I'm not praying that you take them out of the world. What are you praying then, Jesus? I'm praying that you protect them from the evil one. Why? Because we're in a war. Verse 16. I mean, I am sweating like I am a candle wick right now. I don't know why it's so hot in here today. Verse 16. They are not of the world as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is the truth. As you sent me into the world, look at this. I have also sent them into the world. Molly, if you want to go ahead and come up, I'll end with this quote. Uh, I read a book this week uh, called The War of Art. It's a short little book and uh it's by a guy named Stephen Pressfield I have no idea what the guy believes he's he's not a Christian as far as I can tell but he ended with this quote that uh, was very Christian it like summed up the text that we're preaching on today especially that third point he says this he says it may help you to think of it this way if you are meant to cure cancer or write a symphony or crack cold fusion and you don't do it you not only hurt yourself even destroy yourself, you hurt your children, you hurt me, you hurt the planet, you shame the angels who watch over you, and you spite the Almighty, who created you and only you with your unique gifts for the sole purpose of nudging the human race one millimeter farther along its path back to God. 
Do you guys view your work that way or do you just view it as a paycheck? Do you view the, the way you come to the church and we as a, as a community go out and live? Do you view it that way or you just view it as, oh, I got to slug through another week and then maybe I'll go listen to that guy talk for like 45 minutes again so I feel a little better about myself? Or no, do you view it like, this is a huddle. We're going to go out, we're going to run the play. That's what we're going to do. See, because the, the church God wants is a church that is made up of people, not a place or a person. He wants Jesus as the cornerstone, even if it causes some to stumble. And God wants us to work as a team for his mission. Let's pray. Father, I pray that this would be a scent. I pray that this would mark us as a people. Lord, that we would be the type of people who are together as a family, living as missionary servants for your glory and your glory alone. God, I pray that you would uh, convict hearts in this room. Lord, I pray that you would comfort hearts in this room. And Lord, I pray that maybe for the first time, somebody would say, you know what? I'm I'm ready just to make Jesus the cornerstone of my life. I'm tired of him just being a part of my life. It's not working out. I'm a bad king or I'm a bad queen. I I need to make Jesus the cornerstone, the thing that aligns my life. And I pray that they would make that decision today. They would wholeheartedly follow after you. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would open the eyes of their hearts so they might believe in the good news that you came and you paid the penalty for them so that they could be connected to God that you sent your Holy Spirit in your church to help us grow up into Christ-likeness. And Lord, you've given us a glorious hope in the future. You're coming back. You're going to restore all things to perfection. And we know you're going to do it because you already did it once before in Jesus. Right now, friends, if you would, eyes closed, head bowed. Take about 20 seconds and say, God, what are you saying to me through this message? Father, I, uh, I know silence is uncomfortable because we try to fill our lives with noise. And yet, Lord, I think we would be far better off as a people if we stopped and listened. Lord, I pray that today somebody in this room heard what you would have them do. And I pray that you would have us the courage to obey through the power of your Holy Spirit. It's in your name we pray. Amen. We are going to respond to the Word of God now. And there's three ways we respond. Number one, we give. We, we give back to God uh, out of an act of worship. And we give, you can give in the back at the offering buckets if you came to give. Uh, but we also respond by repenting, which is turning. So whatever God has called us to do, I'm turning my life around to what He has asked me to do through the power of His Holy Spirit. And the last way we respond is through singing. If you would stand up right now, we're going to sing loudly to this God. And you know what I love about singing? is it really shows the community of the church. Because if I were to sing a solo, it would sound ugly. You guys shouldn't laugh. Some of you sing worse than me. And yet when all of our voices come together, what is it? It is a beautiful sound of praise to God. And I can't wait to hear that beautiful sound, friends. And may we live our lives in this way. Thanks for tuning in to the Ascent Church podcast. You can check in with us on social media at My Ascent Church. New episodes each week. Thanks. Thanks.